Welcome to the Andy Staples Show. It's a Monday. That means Ari Wasserman is here. That means we're ranking stuff. And we decided to do a little series because we, we ranked the jobs of the ACC last week based on a reader question. And people loved it. And they said, can you do the other leagues? And we said, sure, why not? So this week, we'll be ranking the jobs of the Big Ten. And then I have a ranking dilemma for Ari. Last week, we actually ranked actual jobs and (laughs) found out that Ari would rather inspect sewers than be a veterinarian. But this is going to be a little different. We're going to be a little more in Ari's wheelhouse, but we're going to throw him a little tiny curveball that I think should change everything. But but first, Ari, we got to start with the Big Ten rankings. Ari, this is the conference you're the most familiar with. You covered Ohio State for a long time. So you, I, I am leaning on you for this one. I tried to do mine, and I got to tell you, this is this gets hard quick. It does. It does. And, um, you know, because I think that in the Big Ten, you can, you can make a lot of um, geography discussions, and then that would move what would seem like lower-tier jobs into higher-tier jobs. And, and schools that are usually bigger or known for being, you know, powerhouses, at least in the old days, who have terrible geography now, it's just like a pretty crazy dynamic um, on how to do this. So the way I did it, and I don't know if you did it, but I did it the same way we did with the ACC, where it's starting now and into the next five years. Yes. This is what our, our reader asked us last week, and I thought it was a good way to do it because the, there, there's some hard ones in here because a lot of it is it's a hard job but there's a really good coach there who has made it seem easier or who is, yeah. or who has created a, a, an identity for it. I think there's, there's one in the big 10 that we'll get to where there's a very clearly defined identity. And without that, it's a much harder job, but because this person who is not the coach anymore hit upon this identity, it becomes one of the better jobs in the league. Okay. Right. We'll right. start out I with know Ohio exactly State. What you're talking about. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we'll start out with Ohio State. We know Ohio State's number one. Uh, they're never bad at Ohio State. It's it's one of the best jobs in the country. If someone offers you that job, don't turn it down. Uh, I, I don't think there's much more you can say about that, Ari. Yeah. I, uh, you know, Ohio State, the one thing I wanted to make a point about, and that, you know, before we move on, because it's just the obvious answer, but Ohio State has a very unique recruiting advantage. They are the only big time school in a very talent rich state. Um, A few other schools have this advantage. LSU has this advantage and they do a very good job in Louisiana. Um, Georgia has this advantage, I guess, if you, you know, take away Georgia tech. Um, But Georgia is the really the only show in town in that state, even though it's a competitive state. Yeah, Auburn, Auburn and Clemson being so close to the borders make it right. a little bit tougher on Georgia. But Georgia has so many good players that that kind of makes up for it. Yeah. And ironically enough, um, Rutgers has that, um, which I think will yeah. come into play when we and get, we'll get to, to that. Yeah. Um, but there aren't a lot of schools that have the advantage of being able to pick and choose who they want in their own state without much pushback from other teams or other leagues that are close by or on the border or in the same state. So if you're an Ohio kid and you're really good at football, you dream about going to Ohio State, and that's why picking up in-state commitments um, is so easy. So for me, I think it's a geographical standpoint for Ohio State. Obviously, the tradition and all that stuff come into play, the winning and all that, but I think that the first thing is the reason why all those other things exist. So you know, that's why they are there. So number two, I think we probably are going to disagree right off the bat here, Andy. Okay. Um, My number two is Wisconsin. I I, Okay, I'm, I'm glad... 
I thought I had Wisconsin high and I had them at number four. And this is the school I was talking about when we were talking about hitting upon the right identity and just understanding what you are, which I think is critically important. And Barry Alvarez is the person who hit upon that identity. Normally I say, if you've got an AD and he tells you, do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that as the coach, you're in a bad situation, except at Wisconsin. Just listen to Barry. He figured it out a long time ago. He cracked the code and Paul Christ is smart enough to to understand that, hey, this works. Let's keep doing it. Um, I I had them number four because of the, and and this is with the five-year thing, the next five years. If we just took everything away, took tradition away, took current coaches out of the equation, then maybe it's not like that. But they have established such a distinct identity. They know exactly what they are and what they're looking for. And they can now recruit to that. I think if you're an offensive lineman, it doesn't really matter where you from. You're from. If Wisconsin wants you, you're going to listen, right? And I want to make this clear because I know that you know. I think for the most part, we didn't really get much hate mail from our ACC rankings, which I was surprised by. <laughs> but this is we, we got a veterinarian who was very mad, who said <laughs> we we had a lot of it's misinformation the, in there, and yeah. that they don't upsell you. Which listen, I've owned a lot, and of and they're pets. a good one. Yeah, there, there are there are good veterinarians who don't. There are bad veterinarians who do. I'm just right. going to tell you that right now. But these jobs and the way that I've ranked them doesn't correlate to which teams I think are most likely or most able to win a national title. I'm looking at it based on being the coach and being the person who is in that chair and the challenges that are in place and what you have. And Wisconsin knows what it is. And yeah, the hardest I, I, thing- I would argue that they've kind of maxed Wisconsin out. I think they're, they're about yeah. as close to their ceiling other than Ohio State of any of these schools that we're going to talk about. Absolutely. And that was part of the reason why I put them in that in that situation. And if Wisconsin has a down year and loses four or five games, it's not received the same way as it is at Michigan or Ohio State or Penn State when things aren't going well. I'm not saying that they don't care about football. I'm saying that there isn't the same type of pressure cooker of having to compete for a national championship because that's the standard at other places. I don't know that Wisconsin's standard from a fan standpoint is win a national title. Now, when you're maxed no. out, like you said, you know, it's really hard to go back, to, to play in the Big Ten championship game and to be in that scenario is a, is a tough thing. But the other thing we have to take into account, too, is that they're on the much easier side of the conference. And yes, if you take the Penn State, Michigan, Michigan State job, you have to play Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, and Penn State all the time, every year. And Wisconsin, I think, has a very clear path to the Big Ten championship game every single season, especially once things are rolling. So if I were able to pick which school I would want to take the job at, Ohio State would be number one because of the resources and the geography and the tradition. But number two, I think life would be great as the Wisconsin head coach, especially because the hardest thing to do as a coach, and we say it all the time on this podcast, is to identify, not only identify the plan, but execute the plan and then see that the plan works. And I think Wisconsin has all three of those things. Well, and, and they've already shown it can work under different coaches. I mean, it went from Barry Alvarez to Brett Bielema. It even worked under Gary Anderson and then and then has worked even better under Paul Christ. So the formula is there. All you've got to do is keep plugging the right things into it and you're going to be fine. And I think that there's some comfort in that. Plus, you get to eat and drink in Madison. And who doesn't want to do that? Yeah, Madison. If geography in terms of what it looks like comes into play, then I might rearrange the list. But Wisconsin's definitely, I think, the second best. Ann Arbor maybe too. The second best or the first best yeah. uh, Big Ten campus. And Michigan and Wisconsin, I think, would be the, the one-two punch in that category. But who was your number two, Andy? 
So my number two is Penn State, and it's very, very much geographically based because while State College is hard to get to and and feels like the middle of nowhere and is three hours from Philly and three hours from Pittsburgh, and it, it's still not that far from a lot of places. And if you do the job right at Penn State, if you're really going, and and this actually plays into some of our other rankings that we're going to have further down. But if you're doing the job at Penn State, you should be getting the best player in Pennsylvania, the best player in New Jersey, the best player in Maryland, the best player in Delaware, the best player in, in maybe Northern Virginia, depending on, on how that's going at Virginia Tech or, or you know all those other schools that, that recruit that area. You have access to all of that. And if you're doing it right, and, and James Franklin's had a, a year or so where he's recruited like that, then you can stockpile some talent there. And, yeah, I, you know, you've got tradition, everything else. So that's that's why I had a number two. So my number three is Penn State. And the reason why is because, A, I think you can win a national championship. Uh, B, um, the same standard of of winning and, and competing with Ohio State exists the same way it does at Michigan, but the demand of beating Ohio State isn't what you're defined by, which I think is a huge distinction between Michigan and Ohio State. And I've got a feeling Michigan's probably going to end up number three on your list. But Penn State ended up on three on mine because you, being the head coach at Penn State, you don't have to figure out a way to beat Ohio State the same way that some of the other uh, rivals have to. And I'm not saying they don't have to figure out how to beat them, but you're not held and to your feet to the fire and being talked about fire because fireable you can't beat offense Ohio to State. continuously lose yes. to them. Yes, that's and, exactly right. And and Penn State also has, like you said, they have signed a top six class in the recent past. They got kids like Micah Parsons. They've they've I think that they have a geographical situation where if it's done right, uh, things can go really well there. And I think you're every bit as likely to win a national championship at Penn State as you are at Michigan. In fact, Penn State is the only team that's beaten Ohio State, won the Big Ten from the east side outside of Michigan State to do that. So, um, well, I, I, to, I think Penn State's much easier to recruit to than Michigan. I just Because you have so much more access in terms of who can drive to your campus. I mean, right. unofficial visits, that sort of thing. You're, you're getting a lot of people. You, you are in, you know, in range of a lot of really good recruits in driving distance range, like within a five hour drive of a ton of really good players. And I think that matters. In 2018, they signed the number six class in America. They had three five-star prospects committed, um, did a really good and job. That, that in was the one where they had, they had the, the number one player in Pennsylvania, the number one player in New Jersey. And I want to say the number one player in either Maryland or Virginia. And it was one that's of those correct. where that's, that's what you should be doing if you're really rolling at Penn State. Like that is, that's the ideal there. Yeah, and the number two player in New Jersey. And you're talking about seven, eight guys in the top 150. That's the type of class you need to put together to beat Ohio State. And Michigan's done a pretty good job recruiting, but they haven't put together a class like that. Now, now James Franklin hasn't been able to repeat that, but I think that it's within him and the program and the resources and the ability. If it's not him, somebody else can redo that. And I think that can be more um, regular than it's been. So- to me, if I had to take over a job, I would much rather start at Penn State and with the same circumstances at Michigan and then go from there without having to feel like if you lose to Ohio State, your season was a failure. So your number three is Penn State. Yeah. You mentioned my number three, and, and I'm assuming this is your number four, is Michigan. Right. And so for me, what you should be doing in 2021 at Michigan is – 
you've got that big, beautiful airport in Detroit where everybody can fly direct to Detroit just about unless you're in just a really tiny town. But if you're near a, an airport of any reasonable size, you can fly direct to Detroit. This is a program that needs to be recruiting nationally. I think that they are recruiting nationally. I mean, they spent a lot of time in California. They've spent a lot of time in Florida. And I think that recruiting nationally is a nice one-two punch uh, for Harbaugh and the ability to do that. But the thing about it is, is that in order to recruit nationally successfully, you have to do a pretty good job of landing at least four or five kids in your own area and then branch out. It doesn't happen in reverse. So, like, I know like how many teams have been successful at the same level as Alabama or Ohio State, specifically to this conference, who have been unable to conquer their own geography. And it's like Alabama does a pretty good job in the South, I think you could say. Ohio State keeps Ohio kids home. Clemson, if well, there's a kid. Yeah, in I mean, here's the thing. O o Ohio State, we know the people who've left Ohio that Ohio State wanted. Like, we can name them. Jordan Hicks and Jackson Carmen. Like, yeah, there's like seven can, of them since 2012 or something. We remember their names because there are very few of them. And right. same thing in Alabama. Like guys that Alabama and Auburn want don't typically leave the state of Alabama. They just don't. Uh, Justin yeah, the Ross thing would, would probably be the last right. one. And the thing, too, that also is happening and has been happening since Urban took over at Ohio State uh, during his tenure is Michigan has to fight Ohio State tooth and nail for every kid in Detroit now and every kid in West Bloomfield and all the places that are in their surrounding area. And it's just the, the favor is not being returned. Ohio State doesn't have to beat Michigan for their players in Ohio, but Michigan has to beat Ohio State for kids in Detroit, and Ohio State's winning battles for kids in Detroit. So the fact of the matter is, is that that job is actually a very difficult job because not only do you have to figure out a way to beat Ohio State on the field, the thing that you have to do in order to beat them on the field is beat them in recruiting, and they're not doing that either. So... Like, to me, I think Michigan is number four because of what it is. It's a great university. It's got a great academic institution, uh, tradition, stadium, uniforms, everything that you could possibly need. As I've said a thousand times on this podcast, you have at Michigan. But the current circumstance of where they are um, just in their rivalry, I think, makes it a really hard job. And, like, I respect Jim Harbaugh for taking this cut and trying to stick through it and finish the job. And like, I'm very interested to see if, you know, incentive based uh, situations with a new staff and a much younger staff with ties to the Midwest. It's like, I think that Michigan can continue to go get the, the, the kids in California, the way they've done and, and quarterbacks and, and things like that. They've recruited well enough, but until they're, they're, really taking off in Michigan. And I think they did a pretty good job in the 2021 cycle. You know, I've been pretty hard on them and I, I want to say that they, they did a pretty good job, but the problem is, is that everything that they do, even when they do a good job is being directly compared to Ohio state. And that's just not a world I would want to live in. No. And it's, it's sort of this, the same, the whole Gus Malzahn thing that we talked about with, with Gus and Auburn. And, you know, from the outside, you, you look at it and you go, okay, he's doing okay. But if you're Auburn, you compare everything that happens to, to Alabama, and that makes it very difficult if you're the coach at Auburn. I mean, it's a it's a really almost impossible standard to be held to, and it's the same thing at Michigan. I mean, Ohio State is on an historic run, even for Ohio State, which is which has had a really good history. So, yeah, it's a tough job. Okay, so I had Wisconsin Wisconsin at four uh, for the reasons we we've explained, and and I'm I'm glad you had them at two. I felt. I was worried you were going to think I had them too high, but we, we kind of agreed on why why they're yeah. there. I, I had Michigan State at five. That's my And team. many of the same reasons, I, I think 
just like Michigan, you can get out and, and go get some people from around the country. And I realize it's not the same as having the Detroit airport right there, but it ain't a bad drive. It really isn't. And, and you can fly kids into Lansing when they're on recruiting visits and that sort of thing. But this is a this is a place where the, the fan base is great. Game atmosphere is fantastic. Recent success, you've got kind of proof of concept that, that this can work. And you've got a guy named Mel Tucker who really knows what he's looking for. Now, we'll see if he can sign those guys, but he knows what he's looking for. So he's going to, to target the right kind of players to get them where they want to go. It's just a matter of him being able to land them. Yeah, and I, I forgive me for a shameless plug, but this, there's something that I wanted to make a point to. I'm running a, a survey with recruiting uh analysts, national recruiting analysts about the 2021 class tomorrow. And one of them made a really interesting point and tomorrow being Monday, February 22nd. So go check it out. But he said that Michigan state had things rolling. And when things went wrong under D'Antonio, they stopped recruiting the same type of players that they had been recruiting to get them to the playoff and tried to use their playoff success in order to get more four or five high-end prospects that they weren't in on before, and then things kind of went off the rails as a result of that. And I thought it, that was a really key point. And it, point. it felt like that the, the, the season when the wheels really fell off was the one where they had their best recruiting class from a ranking standpoint. And it seemed like there was a big culture clash in the locker room between the guys who were freshmen who came in thinking, well, I'm, I'm great, I need to play right now, and the guys who were older who said, no, 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 we, we developed to this point. You don't just walk onto the field here. You gotta, you gotta beat us out first. And it did seem like that was, that was the issue. And, and it didn't seem like there were those Jack Conklin's or Darquez Denard's anymore that they just kind of pulled from the earth. Yeah. And it's just like that, that mindset is exactly the opposite of what Michigan state is. Michigan state is recruit uh, kids that are overlooked by Ohio state and Michigan um, get three-star prospects who you know might not necessarily get all the accolades, but be very, very good at talent evaluation, develop those kids over a three-year period, and then once every four years have a really, really good football team. Michigan State was never supposed to be the perennial Big Ten champion contender that that they kind of were, and D'Antonio did a wonderful job. Like I can't stress enough. I, I think you can make an argument that he had a he was the best coach in the Big Ten even a few years after, like, while Urban was at Ohio State because they, of, like, what he did. They were beating Ohio State with Urban. Right. I mean, that's, right. they did it in, in, in two different years where they didn't have more talent. They just beat them. And, and I think you're right. I think as the years pass, we'll appreciate what Mark D'Antonio did more. I think the way it ended is it makes it a little bit harder because you saw it decline. Uh, but I think Mark D'Antonio, we're going to look at a lot, sort of like Gary Pinkle at Missouri. Like when you look back on Gary Pinkle's time at Missouri, you're like, damn, he was really good. Right. I think we're going right. to feel that way about Mark D'Antonio, too. Yeah. But I think that the, the, the same idea of the Wisconsin concept that we are talking about exists at Michigan yeah, State. There's you a, know there's what you a, are. There's a blueprint. Yeah. Right. And I think that that blueprint is impartially what I think Michigan should be doing to a lesser extent. That can't be Michigan's entire plan. But Michigan needs to dip back into Ohio and get some of these overlooked guys that Ohio State doesn't have room for, develop them, and then make Ohio State pay for not recruiting them. And there were a lot of players during the Urban Meyer era at Ohio State that were under-recruited or wouldn't have been, or a lot of players, at least on the roster, that he inherited, that Trestle recruited, that he never would have, 
that turned out to be all Big Ten NFL draft picks. And like those guys, if Urban were the head coach in 2011 instead of 2012, might have been all Americans at Michigan and Michigan State. And like that has to start happening again. And Michigan State understands that they spend a lot of time in Ohio. And I don't think Michigan spends enough time in Ohio. And it's like Kentucky uh, let, let is me, the team. Let me ask you this. I was going to say, how much yeah. does Mark Stoops hurt guys like Mel Tucker? A lot. And a part of the reason why it was such a big deal when, like, what was the first thing that Mel Tucker did when he got the job, right? He went after Vince Merrow at Kentucky because that's the exact, like, I think Michigan State's biggest competition in college football is a team in the SEC that's in Kentucky. And, like, that's kind of like the plan. And some of the Kentucky teams, the one that was two games away from winning or for playing for the SEC championship, that team might have won the Big Ten or, or been really close to being a, a, a Big Ten right, contender. Right. Now, like, Josh Allen should be at Rutgers. Like, he shouldn't be at Kentucky. What, right, what's he doing right. Here? What's he doing? And all these all these players that should be at Big Ten teams are going to Kentucky. And Cincinnati also has done a really good job with Luke Fickle. And the thing that Luke Fickle did when he was Ohio State's defensive coordinator was identify those guys. And when they lost him, he took that talent to Cincinnati. And Cincinnati's doing a good job. But it's just like Cincinnati might have been the fourth best team or the third, maybe even the second best team last year in the Big Ten. And the reason why is because they know how to recruit Ohio the right way. So Mel Tucker is a former Ohio State assistant. He's a Cleveland native. I think he's the exact type of guy that you need at Michigan State. And also, you're you're not facing the the daily demands of all the things that happen in the top four positions in this in this poll. So to me, Michigan State has a lot of upside, but not a lot of downside potential for for down years. And I think that you can really work through um, development and, and patience because that's what that fan base is used to. And when things get going at Michigan State, they're a really good football team when they're done the right way. And I'm very curious to see if Mel Tucker will be able to to kind of, you know, follow in D'Antonio's footsteps and put together teams like that. But I think it's a really good job. Yeah. And, and I think the way he started, you know, weird season, completely weird situation where he was hired after the second signing day. So he was in the, the worst possible position of a new coach last year, but got him up to beat Michigan got him up to beat Northwestern. So, I mean, it, it's, I, I think there could be a really interesting story going on there in East Lansing. And I think you might, I, I thought maybe you might put them a little bit lower because they had to deal with some of the off the field stuff. And there was a lot of roster turnover. And I don't think it's a complete roster right now. The amount of talent on that team is far less than it used to be. But I do think that if things are done the right way that, you know, in a few years, they can replenish that. We'll be right back after these words. Okay, so now we get to where I started to struggle, where I started to struggle with what the program is because of the coach who's there and because of other factors and what the program could be. Because there are two more programs in the Big Ten that we've not named that I think if you stuck Nick Saban or Dabo Sweeney there that they could win a national title. And that's strictly based on who they could recruit. So I'm going to give you one of those right now. I had Maryland at number six. If you get all the talent, and not even all the talent, if you get a decent amount of the talent available near you at Maryland, you can win the Big Ten, you can compete for the national title. You got to coach them up, right? But there's enough talent there to be an elite team, not just to be a good team. I agree with you. I, I have, I won't tell you, that's a little high for me, because I think you also have to take into account the side of the conference that they're in, and being the fourth or fifth best team right now, uh, in one side of your own division is a really tough thing to overcome. Um, but I do think that you are right about that. In terms of geography and being able to keep those kids away uh, or keep those kids home, and I think Mike Loxley's done a good job. They've just signed a, a top 20 class, and 
if the talent comes in and they replenish that talent uh, and continue to do that, then I think that that job would increase right now. The problem I'm having is, A, uh, it's just in the next five years, I think it's going to take a little bit longer, so they have to be patient. And, and B, it's just such an impossible conference or side of the conference to win when things are going well. I mean, at a certain point, Penn State, Michigan, and Michigan State were all really good at the same time. And it's just like that on top of Ohio State, like Maryland – has to but, fight but, tooth and but, nail Ari, every year to win five now games. Be your chance would now be your chance. Yeah, yeah, with, I, I guess it would be where, yeah. where they are. Yeah, I mean, all three of those teams have, you know, Penn State just, you know, signed one of the worst recruiting classes it had in the Franklin era. Michigan is, you know, kind of reeling a little bit, but I don't know. I think Michigan did a really good job of rebounding. I mean, given where they were in November and where they are now, they have their coach back, and now they have a top ten class coming in. Like, I, I guess you could say that. It's better than it was in 2015, <laughs> for sure. Uh, right. But Maryland, too, is just kind of like, you know, the concept is there, but it hasn't been done. And it's just, to me, um, Maryland is my number eight. So, I mean, I don't think we're okay. really that far off. What, what, but what's your, yeah, I, I think there's, this, there's a bunch that are right close together. So what's your number six? My number six is Iowa. Um, okay. And Iowa, I think, I don't know if it's just the way it, the way things like, are there, can, maybe. Can I can I can I cut you off real quick? Sure. Is your number seven Northwestern? No. Interesting. Okay. I ha- I struggled with Iowa and Northwestern because I feel like both of them are in a good place. Both of them have kind of just like we talked about with Wisconsin, know what they are, and and recruit to that. Yeah, I I think that I'm going to anger some people when we start getting down the list here. So I, you know, we'll we'll get to that when we get to it. But Iowa, I think is. Um, every bit as consistent as any team in the Big Ten. We know what Iowa is. They have a plan. They know how to do it. And I don't know if this is just like in 15 years or 20 years when Kirk Ferentz is retired and then we get a a nice sample size of what somebody else would do there if we can appreciate kind of the consistency there. But they're in a winnable side of the conference. They have a very understanding and nice fan base. Um, They can win the Big Ten West at any given time when they recruit the right or when they develop the players they have on their roster. And... It's just kind of in place there. It's always a tough place to play. Kinnick is an awesome stadium. I know their geography sucks, um, but it just it, seems to it, be it built there. It doesn't suck, though. I mean, it, it's a four-hour drive from Chicago. You are close to a major, close enough to a major metropolitan center. I realize Northwestern's a lot closer. Wisconsin's closer. Illinois is closer. But the thing is, you've built something that has shown you can get guys to the NFL you know, their, their numbers of guys that they put in the NFL relative to where their recruit rankings are, are, are very good. So Iowa has a lot to offer in that, in that scenario. And look, if you're from Chicago, you just hop on I-80 and you, you, it's the same, you're on the same road the whole time and you're there. It's, it's not a bad trip. We're going to get to this, uh, because there's two other teams, uh, in Illinois, but if you go look, there's not a lot of talent there. I don't know why, but no. Chicago isn't a hotbed for football talent. So, like, if Iowa – I mean, Iowa is close enough to Chicago to make that work. And they're – I think that if I, Chicago was deeper, my list would be different. Like, Northwestern is slower on my list than yours because Chicago isn't – you know, there's this Illinois-Northwestern uh, battle right but now North to brand West, themselves. But Northwestern's not really – the thing about Northwestern is they should be recruiting nationally as well because that that's one where you're going to use your academic reputation as a recruiting right hook i mean that that's yeah. gonna hook a lot of people from other parts of the country 
who who want to go to that kind of school. Yeah, and they've done a really good job in the, in the Midwest specifically because that school is that school. Um, and you know maybe Northwestern should have been higher now because. Pat Fitzgerald has ah, taken this team bad to multiple. Yeah, I do a little bit because I'll they tell you, also I'll tell you what the- it was. I I saw a picture that Fitzgerald posted from the the uh, the indoor the other day, where where it's just on the corner and both corner both windows just open out onto the lake, and it's just like wow. <laughs> yeah, no, the, so the facility is beautiful. That yeah. influenced me, I think. No, well, also they are a team that has been in the Big Ten championship game twice in recent years. So, yeah. you know, when you have a team that's built, that, that has um, everything in place, they know what they want, they analyze their talent, they get the kids that want um, that type of education, they have a, a beautiful facility to sell, and they have testimony of, of, of doing it. But I, the thing with Northwestern is that at a certain point, you know, you have a ceiling, and that ceiling is realized in a very brutal way every year, I feel like. And it's just kind of like – you know, that would be tough. And the thing about it that is interesting for Northwestern is that they've reached their potential because they have a person there in charge who has lived it and understands it and embodies it. And I don't know how easily somebody else that's not Pat Fitzgerald could duplicate what they're doing. No, you know, and, I just and think Vandy, that he's the perfect Vandy's person. hoping that Clark Lee can do the same thing. Yeah. In, and it's, it's just like who, who could possibly like I think Pat Fitzgerald is a good enough job to be an NFL head coach and I even remember you and I arguing about why I would hire him at Michigan like I think he's a tremendous coach and did a great job with that program but as we're ranking jobs just because the ideal perfect person is in place right now and is having success right. doesn't make it an ideal job for me or somebody and, and else. this is but but I feel like Iowa is the same way because you know and, and granted they've had two kind of perfect people I guess Hayden Fry probably established it and then Ferentz yeah. continued it but I, I do think that's part of it. If if you don't have Kirk Ferentz there, I don't know that it's this. We, we're feeling the same way about Iowa either. So who is your yeah. number seven? So my number seven is Minnesota, and I okay. know that's going to be a little bit high that. for you. No, um, I understand why. You you go through why. I, I, why don't you I, tell I'll me why? Nod. I'm very I'm very curious to know if you're if you're thinking the way that I'm thinking. Go ahead. Okay, you one big metropolitan city, metropolitan campus, nice campus. The city actually has pretty good football. The Twin Cities actually do play decent football. Yeah. Uh, massive airport, direct flight from almost anywhere. That helps. And a coach who understands what they are and who can kind of connect with, with a lot of different players. Yeah, I think that the city is very underrated. And Great it's one city. of those cities where you don't go unless you're there's a specific reason for you to go. Like you might end up in certain places by accident, but like Minnesota, you have to have a purpose for. And I've only been to, to Minnesota, Minneapolis, just through my time on the Ohio State beat covering away games there. But I think it's a tremendous city. And I know that everybody goes, well, it's too cold there and whatever. It's fine. But if you've ever been to Minnesota in July, uh, I heard it's amazing. And I just feel like from a talent standpoint, an infrastructure standpoint, the stadium, the right coach, like the, the season that P.J. Fleck had two years ago, I think is is something that you can duplicate. And, you know, for whatever reason, uh, they had, you know, kind of a backslide, but you can get talent there. And if you have the right personality in place, I really do believe that you could build something there. And I think that you could break through. And it's like funny because I have a Minnesota team ranked ahead of a Northwestern team that has already done what I'm saying Minnesota could do. So maybe I was wrong and I, I think maybe I could flip right. those. Yeah, I think you were <laughs> probably right. And maybe like Minnesota should be nine. Maryland should be eight. And Northwestern should be seven. But I kind of feel like all three, like those two jobs are very similar. And the reason why I, 
I did it is because I think the potential at Minnesota to recruit a certain type of athlete is higher than it is at Northwestern because they're not bound to the same academic standards as they are at Northwestern. So my one through nine and your one through nine are the same. They're just in, in a little bit different order. Yes. So now we're going to get to 10 through 14. <laughs> and here's where it gets interesting. So my number 10 is the last team that I would say if you took Nick Saban and put him there, that it could win a national title. But that team has not been very good. That team, in fact, has been very, very bad. It's Rutgers. But if you kept the talent around Rutgers home, if you could keep the best players in New Jersey in New Jersey and then go into Pennsylvania and then go into, you know, go into Florida, have your Florida outpost that that Shiano did such a good job of creating, you can have not only a good team, an elite team. The problem is it's really hard to do. I mean, you look at Greg Shiano, who has been as successful as anybody there. He never won the Big East at Rutgers. Remember that. So it would take a recruiter of just phenomenal capability, and, and you'd probably have to, you know, drop some bags too. But that's the only way. But the talent is there. The problem is, you know, that there's so much good Catholic school football in New Jersey. And, and you and I talked about this last week when we were talking about Boston College, where those are essentially embassies for, for Notre Dame and, and to a lesser extent, Boston College. And so you, you've got a problem keeping Notre Dame out. You've got Ohio State gets into New Jersey a lot. Michigan gets into New Jersey a lot. Penn Michigan State like, gets into New Jersey yeah. a lot. It's, it's very hard to keep them home. Very yeah. hard. If you could, then this is, this is the only reason I have Rutgers above the, the other four is because the other four, they have no opportunity like this. But if the right person were to get to Rutgers, you could do it. Okay. My number 10 is Rutgers. So, like, I don't know what's going on right here, but, like, we are agreeing too much and it's making me uncomfortable. Well, I think, um, I think we think about recruiting the same way. I think the closer you are to players, the better off you are. Yes. And having that recruiting advantage, I guess, being the only in-state school in the state of New Jersey is a wonderful thing to say. But in reality, they, it's a very competitive place to recruit. And the thing that is, is always Monmouth most a state school, <laughs> yeah the the only Power Five school, I guess I should say, not state school. Uh, but but the thing that I don't know how you flip the switch is because I have Rutgers ten because of their proximity to talent, but I also have them ten because they've been so terrible that you only have to even show a heartbeat to be considered a success there, which I think is a wonderful situation for a coach to be in. But Rutgers before Greg Schiano got hired was a place that coaches go to die. So I wonder yeah. if we would have done this two years ago. I probably would have had Rutgers last because I feel like that's a black hole for a coach even, that's not from Jersey to do this. But now Shiano. Even when Ash was there, I said the same thing, though, because I, I would get that mailbag question of if you put Urban Meyer or Nick Saban or Dabo Sweeney into X school, could they win a national title? So I made a list of all the schools where I thought they could. And Rutgers was always on that list. Yeah, and I think when we get to my number 11, I'll ask you the same question um, about whether or not you think that they could win a national championship. You said no. Um, but the thing, I don't know what Rutgers has to do or if they can. So Rutgers just got a commitment from a kid named Anthony Johnson out of Philly, and he's a four-star prospect and rates 165 overall nationally, which is going to be, if they sign him, the, the highest-rated commitment that Northwest, or Rutgers has signed since 2017. So like the potential there with what 
they can do on the East Coast with Shiano in play. There isn't a high school coach in the state of New Jersey that isn't a friend of Greg Shiano's. He is the perfect hire. And when Rutgers was balking at the beginning with him about facilities and demands, I was like, what are you doing? You what should are you hire doing? Don't, do anything. Yeah. Don't nickel literally, and dime this man. Let's, let's get him signed. <laughs> if you have even yeah. 5% hope of being a not non-joke, this is your only hope. And I do think that Rutgers is going to be a tough out in four or five years if they stay the course and everything goes the way it's planned. And if they start signing some of these guys in Jersey, the thing that I don't know what you do is how do you go from being a hat on the table to the hat that the kid picks? Because the thing that Rutgers has always done, they've always made top fives of all these Jersey guys. And at the end of the road, they don't get them. So the hardest thing I think that you have to do is not just say you're going to own New Jersey and, and make New Jersey the state school. Um, or make New Jersey proud of its its Power Five school, but you have to actually do it, and doing it is the hard thing. And I've had this this thought, and I, you know, something that dated back seven or eight years ago when I was working with my pal Doug Lamarice at Cleveland.com. But if Rutgers was called New Jersey State, do you think they would be better? No, I think that I think that that name is a is an obstacle. If I they, really if do. they were the University of New Jersey. I've never New thought Jersey. about it that way, but it is it is very interesting because. That was one of those I didn't know until I was, I guess, in, in high school and looking at different colleges, did not know Where even that that Rutgers was. was the State University of New Jersey. I, I I didn't know until I got some literature about or I was I guess probably was probably reading the U.S. News and World Report book, trying to figure out what's good and what's not and all that. And yeah, so yeah, for a kid in Florida, I had no concept of, of that was the school in New Jersey, but if you're in New Jersey, you're hearing about Rutgers all the time. So I don't, I don't no, think I know. that's I just think it's easier. It. It's easier to sell, come do this for New Jersey, if their helmet, helmet decal was uh, was the state of New Jersey with an NJ, like right where Rutgers is located. I think and, that like, and, there's and, a brand And instead problem. of the area code, like on, on the UCF helmets, they have your turnpike exit? Yeah, that'd be good. Or your favorite diner. You know, I, I think that there is a branding problem there. Um, and I don't know if that's the whole problem, but I think it might be 5% of the problem. So if and it's the University of New Jersey, then maybe. Interesting. I had not thought about it that way, but that is a that is a fascinating discussion. Yeah, it's like, why is Maryland any... Maryland is, what, in the top seven of yours? How, what's the identifiable difference between Rutgers and Maryland? That, that Maryland has a you, you, Under Armour partnership? They've it's had the success. same situation. I mean, they... And I realize it was a long, long time ago, but at least they won the ACC once. Yeah. No, I know. I mean, it's the birthplace of college football, man. I, <laughs> I, I, I think that, you know, the fact that they're this high on the list should at least give you hope if you're a Rutgers fan of knowing that, hey, you have the opportunity to be, to be better. There's no reason why they should be losing 59 to nothing, 42 to nothing, and 55 to 6 three weeks in a row when they're playing Ohio State, Michigan, and Michigan State or whatever it was that, that year. Like, yeah. they should be competitive. And if, you know, the thing that people also have to understand is that the recruiting is a process. Everybody just thinks you're going to snap your fingers and all of a sudden, unless you're one of the five golden child coaches like Nick Saban in the sport, you don't just sign top five classes. So as long as he keeps hitting the wall with the hammer and knocking down bricks and every year he gets a good commitment and then maybe three commitments and six commitments, you know, maybe, maybe they'll, they'll do something, but it's for, it's, for called, jobs, it's called keep chopping wood. Are you, you keep, keep chopping, chopping wood. wood? Yeah. I'm sorry. Not hammer, just chop the wood. But you know, from a, from a head coaching standpoint, you got to win what four games to be a success. Like that is a very awesome scenario to be in. Four, four, four big ten games would be nice. Four big ten, With, five, and they five go to a bowl game. Yeah, bowl games. six wins is like you're you won the Super Bowl there. I think so. Yeah. 
you know, okay, so who's not your number 11? Uh, since we've been so simpatico on this, I, I got a feeling like we're gonna, this is where we make people really mad. This is where this is where people get mad, right? I I think we're going to make them making, even madder than me. I think no, I what? think we're both going to make <laughs> I think we're both going to make the same fan base very mad. Well, yeah, cuz they're the only one of these four remaining that would actually get mad about this. <laughs> Nebraska. Is number, number 11? 11? That's mine too. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know how far I could push it before you could no longer you could no longer justify it. And well, I here's feel the like thing, if you if you get somebody to campus, they're going to like it. Lincoln's a great town. They care deeply about football. The facilities are fantastic. Like you get them there, you got a shot. But it's just so hard to get them there. It's so impossible. And I just I don't know. The thing about it is like Nebraska just signed a top 20 class. So, you know, the idea of is it hopeless? I just like you keep clinging onto the hope that it's not hopeless. And like the guys there are doing a hell of a job in the recruiting department. I've got so much respect for those guys because it's such a very hard place to recruit. Well, especially number- now when you can't even get them there because all you can do yeah. is be on Zoom with them. Like, yeah. I, I, and it's like Nebraska is the type of place you have to see. Here. Yeah. You have to see it to understand it. And Nebraska is an awesome football town, Lincoln. Their stadium is awesome. You know, the fans are passionate and it's just like there's no reason why Nebraska should be should be further down on the list than some of these other teams that are ahead of it. Like when you really like take a step back and think about it, it's like, why is Michigan State number five and Nebraska number 11? It's like Nebraska should be better than Michigan State, like on the surface. Right. And then you like look and take a deeper glimpse at what the challenges are there. And it's like I know Scott Frost played there, but why would you be the coach there? Like well, the challenge, the challenge is purely geographical, and that's the thing. And I know some Nebraska fans, because I, I feel like they're actually pretty realistic about all this stuff. I think there are a few who don't grasp the the, the difficulty with the geography, but it's just a matter of can you drive to an unofficial visit or do you have to fly? They have to fly almost everyone. That's a huge disadvantage. Like if you're Alabama or Auburn. You've got kids driving to your campus, you know, before when they commit, they'll have been to your campus like seven times and you'll, you'll have not brought them on an official visit. You won't have paid a dime to bring them there. They'll just have come like with Nebraska. That's so hard. And the way that big time programs evaluate their board. And this isn't happening right now because of Corona, but people have to understand, especially all these programs that are throwing offers out everywhere. You offer these kids their junior year and you create a preliminary recruiting board of who you want. And then you whittle down that recruiting board into realistic options based on which players made unofficial visits. Like that's how you really gauge someone's realistic interest in your program, especially well, if they're within a five hour driving they, period. Yeah. And if they came to camp, if one of those visits was, was right. camp, you saw them up close and you saw them actually move in person. If it's a quarterback, you saw them throw that's yeah. critically important in the evaluation process. You know, I used to like fly when we had away games uh, when I was covering Ohio State. I never flew into Omaha. Like I would fly into Kansas City and drive up. It's just like it was always a thing of like fly as close as you can get or have a layover. And it was just a pain in the ass to get there from Ohio. It's like I don't even know like if you're a kid from Fort Lauderdale 
uh, how do you get to Nebraska? Do you fly and then take you a fly, uh, you fly to Orlando or Atlanta? Oh, you, go to, you go Fort Lauderdale, Atlanta, Omaha, or Fort Lauderdale, you know, whichever, whatever your major hub is, Fort Lauderdale, Dallas, Omaha. And yeah, and then you drive from and Omaha. And then you drive an hour, right? Isn't it an hour? Yeah, it's about an hour. It's it's not a bad yeah. drive at all. But yeah, it, it's... Well, they have runs up. That's... <laughs> they do that they do uh chili and cinnamon rolls for the for the road but yeah that that's the problem i mean it's it's really hard and i realize people will say well you know you can overcome that if you want to play in a truly special environment there's a lot of really special, special environments, environments. like if you're a kid in houston you can drive 90 minutes to a really special environment in college station like yeah they don't have the historical success that nebraska does but recently they've been just as good. And I've had, I've had a gift of when I was covering Ohio State, every time I went on the road, it was the best environment that that team was going to have all year. So I've seen all these schools at their best. And maybe it was because Ohio State won 59 to nothing one year or whatever it was. Um, but I would rank Nebraska's atmosphere maybe number six in the Big Ten. They're very nice fans. They're very nice fans. Yeah, I like the balloon thing. I like everything. I like the sellout thing i like all that but i it's like wisconsin's louder penn state is the best environment that i've ever seen and i haven't gone to a lot of um sec home games so like i don't have a lot to compare to and i hope that that changes now there's nothing Um, in the big 10 that compares to to lsu there's nothing in the big 10 that compares to alabama penn state's great ohio state the whiteout at penn state is great is is not as good as a big game at tiger stadium but yeah no and i I would yeah. like to I'd like to experience both for myself. And I will say the best environment in the Big Ten is the whiteout at Penn State. And that's when they're playing Ohio yeah. State. And the I mean the press box is shaking, it's loud, it's intimidating. And I would love to compare and I'd like to see what's better. And I went to the two thousand six national championship game when they played LSU Ohio State in the Superdome, and that was the loudest stadium I've ever been in. And that wasn't right. even a home it, game. So like I, I, like, I, I exactly. Yeah. But but Nebraska is a is a truly special experience if you're a football junkie. But the problem is, I'm 42 years old. Nebraska means something different to me from a football perspective than it does to someone who's 18 right now. So the the, the year before this this year, there was, you know, Nebraska beat the snot out of that team <laughs> you know so i, I end up as any points to his andy staples uh florida jersey <laughs> yeah but th- so the the my senior year in high school the the nebraska team that played florida may have been the best college football team in the history of college football i mean that that team was amazing and so to people our age it's hard to envision nebraska like this like it doesn't make any sense why can't they be good like not I get that they don't have to be that anymore, but why can't they be Wisconsin? And the truth of the matter is, just from covering the sport and covering a lot of recruiting, they have to work a lot harder than Wisconsin does now. Yeah, yeah. And it's just, I'll give Nebraska fans credit because I think that a lot of problems with uh, fans uh, sometimes is lack of understanding of identity. And I think Nebraska fans have done a really good job of rejiggering how they view their program. Because going from perennial powerhouse in the mid-90s to winning national championships and being the bid bag Alabama of their era to hoping that they can compete in the Big Ten West is a f- big fall. Um, but I think they've done a pretty good job of like understanding the challenges of the modern-day game. And that said, 
Nebraska should probably still be better than they have been. Yeah, I, I agree. They they have the the resources, the you know, facilities, the the atmosphere, the everything else. It, it's just got to you've got to have a coach who is charismatic enough and and connects with players well enough to get them to visit, to get them to look. And then once they can look, then you've got a really good shot at landing them. Let's let's go to our last three. And, you know, can I interrupt you order, and just say it doesn't matter what the order is? Well, that's, from here? What, that's what I was about to say. I'm not <laughs> sure it does matter. So we I, I have mine goes Illinois, Purdue, Indiana, but you could put them really in any order you wanted to. Uh, Illinois, I feel like you got St. Louis nearby, but the problem is if Missouri's recruiting St. Louis very well and, and you've got, you know, other schools reaching into St. Louis, then you're probably not going to do as well. But I think Brett Bielema has the capability of doing a good job at Illinois. I think he can take a lot of what he learned at Wisconsin and put it to work there and probably produce a pretty competitive program. Yeah, Illinois is dead last for me. Um, and maybe that'll change. But, you know, the idea of biggest metropolitan area closest to them is Chicago and there's no talent there and the talent that is there doesn't want to go there. And then, you know, I guess going into St. Louis, it's like if Missouri can't even get most of the guys in St. Louis, maybe that'll change under drink, but um, it's not the case right now. Uh, I feel like it's just there are a lot of teams like that are in St. Louis, too. So it's like uh, to me, I feel like Illinois went to Ohio State. Like, yeah, (laughs) that's all I need to know. You know, and, you know, Missouri did a good job of fighting him. But, you know, it's just I don't even know what step one of Illinois is right now. And it's not. I think that Champaign, Illinois is a tough place to sell. You know, I, I don't know that, you know, I know people who go to school, anybody who goes to school anywhere loves where they went because it's just their experience. But like Champaign is the worst. Oh, maybe, maybe West Lafayette. Those are the two worst road trips in the well, Big Ten. I was going to say, uh, we, we've got Purdue coming up. And, you know, that one, that's yeah, another so, one where it's it, it's close to a major metropolitan area. But again, does it have any players? Now, Indianapolis has players, but Indiana's closer. And, and Notre Dame is recruiting Indianapolis. Exactly. Exactly. And so, Ohio State is, and yeah. Kentucky is, and Louisville is. I mean, yeah. that's the thing. you got to deal with quite a bit of, of conference crossover there. Yeah, I got 12 Indiana, 13 Purdue, 14 Illinois. So we both had Purdue at 13. I think so Indiana, this, based on this, the success that they've this had. This means Tom I think, Allen's the best coach in America, right? Yeah, and it's just like... For the next five years, Indiana doing what they did. I mean, I guess if I had to take over one team right now with those three, which one would you take? I think Indiana is the clear answer here. I so, think so too because I look I look at Purdue and the Rondale Moore thing was clearly you know Jeff Brom using his his you know connections from where he's from to get a really special player. But can Purdue get a lot more of those? I don't know. I mean, Indiana they're not getting major recruits like. Uh, I guess Michael Penix was a was a fairly highly touted quarterback recruit, but he was only going to Indiana because Tennessee cut him loose. So I, I just I mean, I think what this says here is Tom Allen has done a hell of a job. Yeah, I uh, guess off the top of your head, if you don't know this already, what Purdue's class was ranked in 2021 cycle. Mm, 56. 73. Uh, they are so far beyond salvageable at this point. I don't even know. And that's even having uh, Karloftis, who um, is the younger brother of the current Karloftis, who was a really good player. So, you know, it's a very, you know, and those kids were in West Lafayette. So they did a good job of getting those guys. But other than that, I don't know. How do you recruit to West Lafayette? Like, where do you even begin? I, well, I, they're paying a so lot hard. of money for Jeff Brom. And, and that was when, when they 
gave Jeff Brom that contract. And I understand why, because they're coming off a, a decent season. They wanted to keep him from going to Louisville. But the problem with something like that is you once you start paying these guys like the top coaches in your league or, or close to it, at what point do you be, begin demanding results of them? Because I'm not sure that that anybody's going to be able to give you those results right now at Purdue. You know, Joe Tiller did, but there was a different time. It was a different time in the Big Ten. I'm just not and sure. And he was like an offensive genius. Right yeah. He oh, was an I offensive mean, genius when the game was there absolutely. for the taking. You know, absolutely. There were a couple of <laughs> offensive genius. I mean, the, the offensive genius in the in the Big Ten early in the 2000s was pretty strong. I mean, because you, you had uh, Randy Walker at Northwestern. You had Joe right. Tiller at Purdue. I mean, there was a lot of genius there. So, uh, yeah, it's but it's a different time now. And it's and it's really hard because they are paying Jeff Brom a lot of money. And I, I guarantee you they ex- they're going to expect more out of what out of it than they're maybe able to get. And because look, they can't all win. <laughs> you know, you got to, you got to lose. Somebody's got to lose. And my money's going to be on Paul Christ and on Pat Fitzgerald and on Kirk Ferentz to win. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's just, if you're at the bottom of three, it's just, and it's the same thing that happened when you were in the ACC when we did this last week. It's just, once you get there, I think you can make points about all these teams, but once you're down in the bottom three, it's really hard to differentiate. I mean, I think all three of those are the challenge, and Tom Allen did a really good job at Indiana, or maybe even better than we're giving him credit for. Um, but, you know, I think, too, that being the head coach of a football team at a basketball school is kind of a cool thing to be, and that's part of the reason why I think number 11 uh, – or where did I have him? Number 12 is a good place to have him, yeah. and, you know, because it's just – you got to operate in your own world. And, you know, Indiana's had some offensive players. They're in a more advantageous uh, location, I guess, than, than Illinois. Um, I don't know. I mean, hey, I, Jim, Jim I, I'm Harbaugh's not going to argue. coach at a basketball school right now. Did you see, did you <laughs> yeah, see Michigan, yeah. Ohio State? That was a hell of a yeah. game. Yeah, so, yeah. Those teams are really good Jim, at, at basketball. We'll be right back after this message from one of our lovely sponsors. We've got to do some more ranking. I, I I wanted to challenge you. I wanted to. This is one. I I know your affinity for chain restaurants and and mine too because I feel like people bag on chains a lot. They say, "Well, you got to go to the mom and pop place." Okay, well, that's great, but usually you don't get to five hundred locations without being really good at something. And so we're gonna mention some chains. I actually four of these chains I really like. One of them I do not, and don't I don't really understand how it got to this many locations. But the other ones I completely understand. So here's here's the scenario. Ari Wasserman is going to receive a hypothetical fifty dollar gift card. Remember this, throw that amount because this this is gonna factor in hypothetical fifty dollar gift card to one of the following restaurants. He has to rank them from the one he'd least like the gift card to. To the one he most liked the gift card to. Remember, it's a $50 gift card. So your choices are Applebee's, Olive Garden, PF Chang's, Outback, and Chili's. Okay. So are you going to go with me or am I just going right down the list here? Oh, I want to hear I would I want to tap into your brain here. Okay. My number one is Outback Steakhouse. Uh number two is Chili's. And I'll tell you why you're wrong later. Okay. Uh you know, there's finance. The, the, like you said, uh, the financial part of this is also got to go into equation. Um, so number two, I said was Chili's. Uh, number three is uh, Olive Garden. 
Mm-hmm. Number four, wait, no, number three is Applebee's. Number four is Olive Garden. Number five is P.F. Chang's. I have serious problems with this list. Serious problems. Okay, first of all, Outback is great and 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 maybe objectively the best restaurant on this list, but I'll tell you why it doesn't need to be number one. The $50 gift card is why it doesn't need to be number one. You can buy the least at Outback with your $50 gift card. And probably P.F. Chang's would be right up there too. Those are the two most expensive restaurants on this list. Number one is Chili's. Unless, unless Olive Garden is doing never-ending possible. Because if they're doing never-ending pasta, you probably can get four people's dinner well, and become their best friend ever you're, because you're you got the, the never-ending pasta. You're looking at this well, the wrong way. The right way. I don't want a gift card to a place that's already cheap as hell. Like, I want the gift card to the place that's more expensive. I want the most for my money. All right. That, and I know. So when you use your credit card, it's awesome. Actually, <laughs> I say that back. I want the most for your money because you're yeah, giving me I, the gift card. First of all, Outback is legit whatever you want to make it. So to me, they've got everything. And I've never been a steak at an Outback type of guy. Like, I don't order steaks it's at not, Chili's and bad. Outback and Applebee's. The, the steaks at Outback are not bad. Those places uh, serve one purpose for me, and that's to crush food at great volume. And like the, getting the, a steak the Alice, that the Alice like Springs chicken food. is excellent too. So I my, I get the same. I always get first of all, blooming onion is important. I love mm-hmm. French onion soup, and Outback has kick ass uh, coconut shrimp. So, and all these are appetizers. So the reason why this is number one to me is because you use the fifty dollar gift card to have the best possible experience at a more expensive restaurant than the other ones. Like, I think I, I can't believe that you're disagreeing with me. Like, I don't need a well, gift see, card to Olive Garden. Thing, like, I can go to Olive Garden and spend $7 and smash food in there. Like, I don't need the gift <laughs> card to Olive Garden. Chili, but at Chili's, I'm going to feel guilty going to the bar at Chili's and having a bunch of beers. Not when you've given me the $50 gift card. One, if also, I don't know if it's still like this. It used to be when you sat in the bar at Chili's, your chips and salsa were free. Because they figured you'd order more beer that way. So if I've got a $50 gift card to Chili's, I'm getting the free chips and salsa for sitting in the bar. I'm getting a giant burger and the rest is going to beer. Yeah, I think Chili's has like of these chain restaurants that kind of have everything. I think Chili's food is amazing. Like I love, I love Chili's, Chili's. But it's also somehow they figured out, managed a way to like make a 2,500 calorie burger. I don't understand it. Like if you go look at the nutrition facts at Chili's, it doesn't make any sense. It's like the most caloric food, and it's just a bun and a burger. How is it possible? Like, do they like soak their beef in butter? It's, it's the like, Jack Daniel sauce. It's, I don't know. It's no, the, but it's just like a Jack regular Daniel's barbecue sauce, which is like eight pounds of sugar in it too. And you would think that, uh, like, because I love Olive Garden. Listen, tour of Italy is one of the best dishes that a human being can order. You get lasagna, you get chicken parm, and you get Alfredo on the same plate. Like, sign me up for that. But if if Olive Garden for a date is $51 total for two people to like eat like kings, especially because the breadsticks, which is the greatest draw of the restaurant, are free, I don't need the gift card. I'm going to Outback with the gift card because you could have the greatest possible meal ever. And after the gift card's over, it might only be 40 bucks. You're getting the, the, the chain restaurant version of the seafood tower at Outback. Yeah, Outback. And that's impressing your date. Everything's yeah. happening, especially because the Outback, Outback bread – the brown bread that they put out is very underrated. Did I think we actually did a ranking of best free bread Absolutely. and Outback was on my yes, list. It was so, up there. It's, it's on. You there. know, to me, Outback is the most expensive one, but it's also the best one probably from a food standpoint. So that's I thought that would be the clear answer for the gift card. 
one all right one question and this is this is one that i just i don't understand at all how is applebee's number three applebee's is a clear number five in fact i might give the gift card back to you price no applebee's is fine I mean, it's just bar food. I mean, well, I don't know. Like, I don't mind it. But the reason why I put Applebee's here's the here's the hardest thing that I had is food versus price. So, like, the thing about it is the most expensive restaurant I think is PF Chang's, right? But it's I either don't Outback go, or PF Chang's, depending on what you're ordering. Yeah. So I don't go to PF Chang's because a I think you can get better Chinese than chain than chain PF Chang's. And also, Payway is the same exact stuff, and it's like one half it's, of the price. It's, it's the same it's company, the same owner. half the yeah, price. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And, and, so and, I never go there. But strangely enough, the Pad Thai at Payway is better than the Pad Thai yeah. at, at P.F. Chang's. I think that you could say that the Pad Thai at Payway might be one of the top 10 best dishes in fast casual dining. It's amazing. You would hear and no like, argument like, from me. And I, I like love that stuff. Crab Rangoon. I like Payway, but I'm not going to go sit down at a restaurant that serves the same exact dishes that they have at their other company that they own that's also fast casual and half the price. So to me, the gift card, if I had it, might probably go the furthest or the like would help the most for the final tab. But I find going to P.F. Chang's a complete waste of money. And plus, Chinese food is also the best when you get it from a hole-in-the-wall place with um, the light bulbs missing and a few of the lettering on right. there. It needs their, to come in a box. It, it yeah. does not need to come what is, on a What plate. is PF Chang's even trying to be? Are they trying to be upscale Chinese? Is that what the... the hey, listen. What is it? I've seen the crowds. They're succeeding at it. Yeah, no, I know. PF Chang's is a very popular place, uh, but there's like a lot of high-end Asian restaurants in Vegas that are like legit. And, you know, I guess high-end Asian is like a, a thing that's happening. But P.F. Chang's to me, I think, is a complete waste. And all the other four on my list are complete smash sessions where you just go and eat until you can't walk anymore. I can't tell you how many times, you know, Landis and I uh, have driven from Columbus to Indianapolis for whether it be basketball or the Combine or Big Ten Championship game. We've driven to Indianapolis a ton. And there's an outback right on the way. And you eat until you can't feel your legs and you go check in and in Shadeland Marriott and just go to bed at eight o'clock. And I, that's some of the best nights of my life. Um, but <laughs> I offended, I offended tremendous. my old coworker because I used to say that getting a $16 top sirloin at Outback is like slapping me in the face. I don't understand this second tier steak thing. I don't get it. Like I don't get why anybody would order a steak at Applebee's or Chili's. What do you what are you doing? You can make a well, better steak at your house for ha- for the same amount of money. Outback, there are no rules in just right. The Outback special, which is the top sirloin, is very good. You have to understand what it is. What it's is it? sirloin? It's a, a cheap it's cut a, of meat. It tastes like you're. It tastes like you're taking a bite out of a used cowboy boot. It, it does be not. It couldn't you be tougher. Order. That's why you order it rare, Ari. I order it. I would never order a piece of meat not rare. But it's just not good meat. So it's like, also, you go to these places to carve out. Like, I don't know. It's just, to me, ordering a middle-tier steak. If you want a steak, either make it at home or go to a place that can make it better than you. I, I don't right. know. That's, well, it's, it's why you order a burger at Texas Roadhouse because you're only there for the rolls anyway. So don't yeah, spend and, more money on the steak. And I can't make a better burger at home than I can at Texas Roadhouse. But I think that I could make a same similar steak at home. Like, I don't, right. I don't know why people are paying $17 for a steak at Applebee's. It makes no sense. It blows my mind, actually. <laughs> well, we'll have to interview some people who order steaks at Applebee's. and They, they almost always order them up. well done, if you I remember the mind correctly. Of Ari. From, you wanted the mind I of did. Ari. You're getting it. All right. One more thing. 
because we've asked our, our readers and listeners to ask for, for life advice from Ari. Because, again, the more we can plumb the depths of this man's mind, the better off we all are. And so this is from According to Stitch. This is at Stitch Turner on Twitter. I'm a former single dad whose kid has now grown and moved out. What is one thing I should go do for fun? Two factors to keep in mind. I'm only 38, parentheses, I started early, and I'll be flying solo because all my friends have younger kids. Ari, what does this gentleman need to do? So the overeating part of Ari has been well documented in this podcast, but the gambling part of Ari uh, hasn't. I would come up with a hobby. And hopefully, since your kids are out of the house, you have extra money because you're not spending money on their food and their diapers and all the stuff. And probably spending I on would, tuition now. I would uh, some of the best days of of my life. Uh, <laughs> I've had a lot of really good days, but I like. There's nothing better to me than going to the casino alone and sitting at a poker table for 12 hours, having a few beers, and and playing the game. So what I would do is I would create poker as a hobby. I would read about it. I would study the game. I would go play one, two tables and I would go clean up at one, two tables at any casino in America. And a lot of times, too, if you go to these casinos, they're in cool places. So you can also take your new skill, which is playing poker and enjoying yourself while also making trips out of it. And that way you can just enjoy it. Now you can watch movies and look at your phone and text while you're at the table. Um, I was in Vegas uh, a few weeks ago and I sat at the Aria for, I don't know, 15 total hours over the span of two days. And it was tremendous. And the person next to me had the athletic app on their phone. And I was like, oh, we made it. Like that was a nice little moment. So I'm happy I could say it. But I feel like developing a hobby is important. And if you're a dude with no kids, poker would be a really good place to start. And if you're a good one-two player, a lot of these guys don't know what they're doing. If you're patient, you can find your spots. It's a pretty good way to make money too. All right. So since you've now said that two things are perhaps the, the single greatest experience one can experience... I need you to break the tie. What is the better experience? Sitting in Vegas at the poker table for a few hours with, with some beers by yourself? Or not by yourself, but surrounded by other poker players, but not with anybody else from your own party? Because you don't want people or, pressuring you to leave. That's the thing, too. That's why I'm not, I'm not a person who likes to be alone. But I don't okay. want to be told when to get up. Okay, go. Right. Or is it creating... The fast casual seafood tower at Outback, eating all that brown bread, all that coconut shrimp, all that blooming onion, all that Alice Springs chicken, and then passing out at 8 p.m. while watching Netflix. Well, here's the other thing you need to take into account. Just because I'm playing poker doesn't mean that overeating isn't happening. So, like, that's <laughs> okay. all part of the deal. And the thing about the Aria Poker Room is that it's very conveniently located to the shopping center at the Cosmopolitan that has a great food court. And the day that I was playing poker at Aria, I walked over during a break and got Hattie B's, which is uh, hot chicken, hot chicken from Nashville that they just have in Vegas now. And I think I would take the poker experience because it's more prolonged, but also because I get to eat even then. So to me, I like the company of it. Like some of the best times I had covering football wasn't going to the games. It was like hanging out with Landis and going to these places and these restaurants. And I love the guy. Um, and trust me, that's a very wonderful experience. But here's the other thing that you forgot to mention is usually during the football season, we're traveling on Friday nights. So when you go to one of these restaurants, you eat around five o'clock and then you have some awesome Memphis uh, game on or some UCF game on that starts at 730. So you go back to the hotel in a food coma and then you gamble on the football game. 
I think I would take that. So like, I mean, I don't know. It's Sophie's choice. I can't pick. These are the two favorite things to do. And overeating and gambling is involved in both of them. So I, I don't know. <laughs> That's just who I am, I guess. But no, overeating is kind of taking a, a backseat to trying to get my life together. So gambling is still very much in play, though. I feel like when all this ends and we can travel some more, you and I need to get together and record a podcast from an Outback Steakhouse. Sounds good. I, I, you, you tell me when. All right. We're going to make it happen. We, we, we might even do it while there's a Friday night college football game on. Like, do a bonus. We'll, we'll, we'll do it live. It'll happen. It's coming. I feel it. I, I have a feeling that at some point in 2021, we're going to make this happen, Ari. And maybe we just invite all the listeners, too. We yeah, just, you like, promised me that. You take over an entire Outback Steakhouse. Or maybe an Olive Garden. Maybe we do an Olive yeah. Garden. I don't know. Yeah, you pick the place because you that is your field. I'm good at overeating, but you're better at guiding. Um, so, you know, you do that, then I'll tell you what play to make. And, you know, honestly, that's why I love going to Iowa so much because you had the eating, you had the football game on Friday night, and you have a casino right there. Like, I mean, it's just the one, three, I mean, honestly, I would combine all these things, but these are my favorite activities. Is this heaven? No, son. It's Iowa. And I, when we went last year for the Iowa game, I hit a, a royal flush at video poker while watching Penn State. They, it was a big Penn State game on Friday night, and they lost to somebody. And Landis hit hit a grand right off the bat right when we got in. It was a really awesome evening. The mind of Ari is a wonderful, wonderful place to be. And I think Iowa just jumped to number one on our Big Ten job rankings. True. Just because of that. Yeah, it's true. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you on Wednesday.